Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, hello to you on this Friday afternoon. This is The Call. I'm Nadine Blaney. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests, over the course of an hour. Welcome to the program, Claude Walker from Rich Life, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Guys, really good to see you both on this Friday. Um, look, there's a bit of uh, tech enthusiasm out there. I mean, what do you make of the week that was, Luke? Um, plenty of tech enthusiasm, Nadine. And again, it's that uh, the, the top of the NASDAQ really driving things. Um, you know, people are questioning that if you don't have the breadth of the rally, you know, how strong can it be? And, and you probably do you know, need to see it filter through. But I've seen a lot of people point out more in the US than over here, but that Russell 2000, which is really the um, the bellwether for, for mid and small cap stocks has done really well um, over the, the, the sort of last uh, month or six weeks and has actually outperformed um, possibly not the NASDAQ, but I think the S&P and the Dow. So again, maybe some signs that, that things are stabilizing there, obviously on the back of um, yields, certainly pulling back. And um, I saw someone tweet the other day that seven rate cuts are now priced into the U.S. yield curve, which is potentially a little bit scary when you think about how you get to that scenario of having seven rate cuts hmm. um, over the over the next sort of couple of years. Uh, but nonetheless, look, it is good for risk assets and and. and Obviously, Claude and I more focused on small and, and, and micro cap stocks. They are inherently those riskier assets. So um, should bode well for us from a market point of view. But as always, I, I come back to the caveat. You've got to be picking the right businesses. It's, it's nice to have the rising tide, but you've got to pick the right boats as well. True enough. Claude, has anything news wise, small cap wise really caught your attention this week? What are you writing about lately? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, I haven't written. I haven't written much this week, actually. We uh, have our ongoing. Uh, well, we finished up coverage of the AGMs, basically. So one of the more interesting articles this week would have been uh, Raymond's observations from the Supply Network AGM. That's a. Uh, it's actually not that small anymore. About five hundred million dollar company. I've been following it since it was very small. And th- and that's sort of you could think of it as a bit of a competitor, Maxi Parts, uh, in terms of. Uh, truck parts supplies mm-hmm. actually both of them are quite interesting businesses in my in my point of view though i only own shares in supply networks yeah all right well good uh we will send our viewers to check it out if they so desire i don't want to eat up any more of our time because we will be talking about vimoto drone shield and tilly's gold Ambertech, oh that one again, and RPM Global. So those are the companies we'll cover in the next half hour, but the stock of the day, stocks I should say, Santos and Woodside, really in focus today after the two confirmed they're in preliminary talks to create an $80 billion oil and gas giant. If a deal materializes, it would be the largest corporate deal in Australia for several years and would create the biggest LNG producer in Australia. 
So Woodside says that talks are confidential and incomplete and that there's no certainty an agreement would materialize, saying it will continue to assess a range of opportunities to create and deliver value for its shareholders. Any deal would likely be closely scrutinized by the ACCC. There is the share price reaction so far today. Santos up on the news, Woodside Energy down. Guys, I'd like to get your view on these two companies, what this potential merger might mean for the broader oil and gas sector as well. Because, Luke, I mean, clearly Santos has been struggling and frustrated with uh, its its share price, you know, underperformance, let's call it that. So, I mean, would this be a big boon for Santos shareholders? Uh, look, that would all depend on the on the integration of the merger, but but a fair point, Nadine. And I mean, the CEO reading the AFR today um, certainly pulled no punches to that um, sort of sentiment you're talking about. Um, I think his exact words was that the share price has stalled, and and the board is willing to do anything they can to unstall it. You know, looking at M um, and uh, spinning off segments, um, you know, um, and strategic reviews in general. So um, there's obviously appetite for this to, to happen, and and the you know again reading the AFR today uh, it's hard just to say exactly where things are up to but they sort of said about five percent you know of, of the, the discussions have happened so far so still very preliminary a lot of hurdles to overcome there'll be a lot of parties in the room and a lot of conversations involved but it is interesting to note that you know this isn't one party approaching the other it does sound quite mutual and usually when that's the case things can be worked out um, and it is worth noting that, you know, this isn't a standalone sort of um, consolidation or M&A in that space. Um, again, AFR article points out we've sort of gone from from four large oil and gas businesses slash segments to, to potentially just one after uh, Oil Search and Santos merged um, last year. Woodside acquired BHP's assets. And if these two last remaining ones were to merge, then, um, you know, I had a quick look at the energy sector. And I, I think the next largest oil play, you get down to something just around a couple of hundred million dollars so uh, you know it would really consolidate um the the ability for an investor to get access to Mm -hmm. an oil and gas um, producer on the asx but you know that can inherently be a good thing and again people have pointed out if you look globally there's been a a lot of m a in this space and most of it has been those big majors really consolidating their position in what is potentially you know not a dying industry but a stagnating industry as we continue down this path of electrification so you want to be at scale and you want to be you know one of the, the big producers so I see the I see the rationale for it, you know. As shareholders, I, I don't think you take any action from this today. This is all still very early, still preliminary. I think it's positive that they're they're talking about it and thinking about it though, and, and certainly that long term of where they sit. Um, but yeah, look, I I, I wouldn't be um, I would I would hold it if you're there today. I wouldn't be jumping in on the back of it just because of news like this. Um, it, I would still come back to your your individual views on the mm-hmm. businesses and, and most likely the outlook for oil moving forward. And uh, you're not a big fan of energy, or you are? Do you have any energy exposure in your portfolio? No, and, and I don't have many sort of commodity producers in general. Um, I, you know, my, my view is I struggle to sort of forecast where I think those prices will go, and I think most people do. I mean, you know, I could rewind two months ago, and there were predictions that oil was going to stay above $100, $110 a barrel um, because of the, the dynamics of, of the industry and what OPEC was doing. And here we are, you know, uh, a couple of months later, and the, plot, the price has slid, and now people are, you know, uh, forecasting it could go to $50. Like, that's, that's the issue. 
I have. And so it's it's the main problem with these businesses. And the other one as well, which again, uh, the Santos CEO was flagging, is that they're intensively, um, oh, sorry, you know, excessively capital intensive. Um, and so he was calling out that, you know, being that bigger business as a merged entity, um, the balance sheets can obviously fund that capital intensity a lot easier. So not for me, but again, if you're there, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't take any action on this today and, and wait and see how it all plays out. Okay, thanks. Now, Claude, your view on this Santos Woodside potential, potential merger and, and also just, you know, does this make them more attractive investment opportunities? Would you be buying Santos in the hopes that something, you know, gets done? Just give us a bit of insight. Uh, well, I do think it makes sense for the same reasons Luke mentioned. Uh, definitely scale will be an advantage. They'll have more you know, market power and not that, you know, commodity price takers have much market tech power, uh, but at least, you know, say in in suppliers, if nothing else. And uh, I, yeah, it makes sense. But otherwise from that, these are both cyclical businesses. If you look at, you know, I was looking at some of the long-term profit charts for both of these companies. And, you know, obviously we have been in a good time for them in terms of their revenue and profits. And uh, you could argue that, we've had the kind of good part of the cycle for both companies really and that the downside of the cycle can be quite harsh for them uh given that as you said they're capital intensive luke so that means that high interest rates you know it's sucking out more and more working capital it hurts your cash flow and uh at at the same time if indeed we're going to get four seven rate cuts or something coming up which i i struggle to believe i'm not sure what the time frame on that was but that would imply a slowing economy, which is hardly going to be great for them. So, yeah, it, o- overall, uh, I w- wouldn't find them that attractive right now. But I do think that these kind of businesses can make sense for uh, somebody who acknowledges the cycle. But I think you probably got to try and time the cycle. And it wouldn't seem that favorable to me at the moment. All right. Uh, let's leave that there, shall we? Because I don't want to, again, eat into the time that we've got to talk some of these smaller stocks. Uh, the first one on the list is coming to us from Craig. And this one is Vimoto. V-M-T is the ticker code. So we've got these electric little um, vehicles, for lack of a better term. Uh, what do you think of this one, Claude? Look, I think uh, it's amazing that it's actually one of the oldest listed sort of um, Chinese businesses on the ASX. So it's actually been there for around 10 years now, which is actually very, very impressive compared to many of the other businesses that are operating business in China. These guys have factories um, overseas. They, they have big customers in China. Um, the, there aren't that many companies that have had all of their operations in China that have listed on the ASX that are actually still going after 10 years. So that's kind of impressive within that subset but that subset of the market has been very poor and i think what you need to look at is where is the cash flowing are you somebody who understands the rules about how a company could get cash from um china to australia um certainly in the case of vmoto the long-term history of the business and as i say 10 years impressive stuff the long-term history of the business is even though it's actually been profitable uh in the past uh, the long-term cash is that it's Australian shareholders putting cash into the business in exchange for shares, shares, and and in ten years uh, the share the shares on issue have more than doubled, uh, and so uh, overall I would say you know maybe it's going to go ups and downs based on sentiment, um, based on you know it has a P/E ratio of maybe five, but can you get that cash as a dividend back to Australia? That's the question. 
and or is it you know going to just keep on raising capital which it did recently by the way again so yeah look i do think the share price could probably like bounce now at some point if they get some good news um they said they had a you know oversubscription for their shortfall uh so they've maybe placed those shares now so the short term you know buy and uh sell pressure in the market it, it could be more favorable than it has been in the past but long term i think you're just on a hiding to nothing and so for me as a long-term investor and, and someone who invests mostly with my long-term cap on, I would not be buying shares in this company or holding them or having anything to do with it. That is an avoid. All right, uh, Luke, do you see it any differently for Vimoto? No, I don't, Nadine. Um, I was sort of prepared to potentially see it a bit different. I mean, um, I'll be a little bit um, more circumspect than Claude and, and say that, you know, there's a lot of businesses that manufacture out of China. Um, I, I, and, and Vmoto, to their credit, a lot of their customers, are, you know, European, Southeast Asian, um, you know, sort of Vietnam, Thailand through through distributors and into South America as well. So from, from a business operations point of view, manufacturing in China and distributing around the world, that's, like I said, a, that's a business model for, for a lot of businesses. But where I started to dig a bit deeper and, and bear in mind, it's not a company I'd looked at too closely until it was on the list. Um, where I did sort of get the orange flags popped up a bit is that these guys don't actually own their their manufacturing facilities over in China. So when I looked at the balance sheet and only saw five million in um, plant and equipment, sort of the red flag went up about, you know, this is a manufacturer, you'd expect to see a, a good chunk of, of PPD on the balance sheet. And it wasn't until I got down to the notes and saw that their manufacturing facilities are actually owned through a 50-50 joint venture. And to me, that's where everything Claude just spoke about now applies to this business. Um, unless you've got a very good view as to that joint venture, who's the counterparty, you know, how the economic interests are aligned in the background too many red flags for me um they're also seeing a, a massive pullback in demand there was probably a covid pull forward like a a lot of um sort of consumer discretionary purchases these guys are like electric scooters mm -hmm. um and so you know even at their their um, third quarter update recently sales were down 58 percent on last year the, the other alarming thing which again claude sort of touched on they raised capital despite having $28 million in the bank and saying that despite those falling sales that the third quarter was up operating cash flow positive. So there's a few things where it's all coming together and, and I actually agree with Claude. I think there's just a, a few too many question marks and, and better places you could you could put your money. So it's, a, it's an avoid for me too. Thank you guys. All right, um, not off to a rip-roaring start, but we'll see. Second company on the list is Drone Shield DRO. This is for John. He writes, They've successfully developed protection against drones and other aerial attacks. The product is selling well, pipeline of back orders. Despite this, since they had a capital raise at 30 cents about six months ago, the share price is tracking sideways round about that 30 cent mark. He reckons there's a war in the Middle East and in Ukraine. And to paraphrase the prime minister, if they can't make huge profits now, then when? Good question, right, Luke? It's a great question. It's the question that I was sort of going to bring to the program as well. So, look, these guys have come up a few times, and I understand why, because from a winning contract and a top-line revenue and even cash receipts as well, that you've, you've seen that revenue convert to cash quite cleanly. Um, these guys are kicking goals, you know, winning big contracts, and, and a lot of that, I think, is driven by the, you know, military action we're seeing globally and, and a lot of the wars now being fought by autonomous drones and vehicles. Um, and so Drone Shield looking to position themselves well and truly in that space. 
Um, the benefit they may also have is that, uh, you know, obviously given the conflicts globally, um, those sorts of purchases can become time critical and often uh, the government agencies and military agencies may not be sort of, uh, or they, they may be price agnostic. So. You know, I, I tend to agree with um, the viewer when they say, if, if not profits now, then when? Because, um, you know, this business is on track to, to you know, um, nearly 10x their revenue in one year just based on the contracts they've won. Um, look, I don't, I don't know this one. It's sort of been on my periphery for a while. Um, and it's just, I, I think, just waiting to see that inflection point and wait to see the profits come in. One thing I did jot down, though, and, and again, it sort of, raise question marks for me to, to dig a bit deeper and, and get an understanding around this. But if my calculations are right, looking at the PL and, and how they break out their revenue in the notes of their annual report, um, I've got them doing something like 70% gross margins, which for a hardware business is exceptionally high um, and could potentially signal that there's a real genuine IP here that these guys are able to, to, to bring to market and capture that sort of that margin accretion. Um, and if that's the case, then you would scale incredibly well over that operating cost base and those profits would really come through quite strongly um, from the explosive year they're about to have from a revenue point of view. Mm -hmm. So um, I was actually a bit more interested in this one after doing some more work, mostly because you know when you look at that margin profile, you should see the profits come in. Uh, but again, it's one, it's sort of been on my periphery. I don't know it too well. Certainly one, I'm, I'm going to go away and do some more work on it. And as viewers, if you um, if you do own this stock, I think that's a key question to ask. Keep holding for sure. They're kicking goals, but get your head around that margin profile. And if those gross margins are real, I think this stock will do exceptionally well over the coming years. Clyde, what do you think? <laughs> Definitely not as glowing as, as Luke on this one. I guess probably because I... Every, each investor can sort of like overweight certain um, factors. And one of the factors I definitely look at in this kind of small cap, look, this has been listed for a while. It has been a little bit of a story stock. Obviously, it's having an absolute cracker of a time now, which is really good. And it could actually get over into profitability. But the, you know, they did do a bit, like they did a capital raising recently. And, you know, now they have quite a lot of cash on the balance sheet. So they, I think it is fair to say they shouldn't need another one. And that is a positive. So I'm not, against this one either but what makes me very cautious is there's been quite a few director sales for various reasons at various times and it just doesn't really like you've got this rocketing revenue and this rocketing receipts profits not quite keeping up at this point um although it is it's not scaling if you look historically i don't think it's been scaling as well as you thought it you know as one would have hoped i certainly would have thought it would scale a bit better than it has mm -hmm. given it does have high gross margins and so my concern was be, you know, who would be selling shares into this rocket? You know, profits should be rocketing up in the next year or so if if this momentum, this sales momentum is continued at all. So why is there um, so much director selling when you are li literally got that rocket? You know, you've got the winning lottery ticket. This company has not done that well over 10 years. Um, it listed or whatever it is, eight years it is now. But it listed, you know, quite a few years ago and didn't really deliver straight away. And now it looks like it's on the precipice of success and there and directors are selling. So that's why I'm not sort of jumping in myself. If I already owned it right now, I would probably continue to hold on and, and kind of see where this gets. Do we get some mm -hmm. big profits coming? Because sometimes the director selling concern, it's just nothing. It, it doesn't always mean it's a bad situation. So that's that's just my cause for caution but that can sometimes be wrong so i would call it a hold overall thank you guys all right let's get to the next one on the list um you know could keep it a bit shorter if it 
if it warrants it. Third stock is Antilles Gold AAU. This is for Mark. Mark, don't forget, information only, not financial advice. Claude, Antilles Gold. Definitely happy to um, take this one as a short one. Look, I think for this kind of business, it's just completely um, speculative. And so you have to talk about, oh, you're going to make intelligent speculative uh, guesses or are they just silly? Now, I don't know gold mining, but I do know that, you know, to see a company raising like small amounts, like a million dollars, which these guys did, uh, that usually does imply a little bit more on the desperation end of the scale. So it's not, it doesn't sound like there are people who know a lot about gold mining tenements that are that are jumping over themselves to put in money is are there so that's kind of would be my heuristic guess so yeah for me a definite avoid okay what about you um uh luke i'll keep it quick as well nadine i mean when viewers send in these small um speculative miners i, I genuinely take a look at them i you know when people go to the effort of sending in a suggestion i, I think it's worth my time to do that um this was one i stopped very quickly I, I got up to these guys have a dispute against the dominican republic um government for i think 16 or 17 million dollars they're looking to win that dispute which will fund the development of a mine in cuba i, I stopped there to be honest and, and i suspect most retail investors should it's <laughs> this is beyond lottery ticket. This is something entirely different. So, oh, wow. Um, easy avoid. Yeah, look, and, you know, before some of the emails in saying that we've been um, disparaging of somebody's idea, like, you know, I think that that speaks for itself, right? There are, we ask these guys on to give their opinion about a stock. You guys write in with some of these really small specky stocks. Not everybody loves us, um, you know, covering them, but, but, you know, the guys do spend time. Uh, researching them, but sometimes, you know, this is this is their investing strategy and, and it's not worth it. So look, um, I hope, I hope that does help you in some way, Mark, again, you need to do your own research and be careful out there. All right, let's get to Amber Tech is the fourth stock on the list. This one has been picked by Julie. Uh, Luke, I'm pretty sure we've spoken about this one, you and I, before. Um, look, it came out and I think recently it's sort of upgraded. What do you make of Ambertech? Or I think I bring this up a lot when it comes to this company. You know, it's making efforts. I spoke with the CEO uh, to, to take away some of the lumpiness in its revenue. Do you think it, it will be successful on that front, Luke? Oh, to a degree, they will. Um, I, I think the business will always be lumpy. So it's a distributor of audiovisual products, and and naturally, it's it's very contract driven. And over the next couple of years, I think they've got a contract with Channel Ten to, um, you know, maybe they're uh, refurbing some of their studio sets or something like that. Um, so I think that that element of lumpiness will always be there. Um, look, to be honest, this is the sort of business that. Um, you know, sort of has a run every now and then. It'll go through a lull. It'll go through a good period. And I think you can sort of, as as more speculative micro cap investors, you can trade around that. Um, I'm sure Claude will say a similar thing to me, which is I would look at this stock mostly as a dividend yield. Um, and right now, I suspect you'll get a pretty decent dividend out of this stock. So last year they had a 75% payout ratio. Um, and based on the the AGM update and where they're tracking, um, that could be anywhere from like a 10 to 15% yield at the current prices for, for, the, for the coming year. So look, you know, it's again, it's small, it's tiny. Um, the chart there sort of sort of highlights it. Um, it goes through runs and has pullbacks on liquidity and, and, and sort of there's still that lumpiness that remains. But 
based on the update, it looks like they're going to have a good year. You'll likely get a good, you know, good return as a shareholder. So I would hold it if you're there. And if you're someone who, again, plays in the microcap space a bit more speculatively, put this one on your watch list and, um, you know, you might you might see a pullback or something like that and, and get an interesting entry point into it. Okay, so you could buy it cheaper. What do you think, Claude? Ampertech? Well, Luke said something I agree sort of strongly with, which is that it is, to me, it's like a one of those strange small cap dividend stocks. Uh, like we've definitely talked about this before. So I think it was about two years ago now, sometime in 2021, I was on talking about Amatech, which I said I liked at the time. And I think it was around the same share price as it is today. So it really hasn't grown in any particular way. The only real way to value, you know, to value it in my view is just, uh, it's a dividend stock. You may get, you're going to get the lumpiness, I dare say. But one would hope that, you know, the overall dividend stream you get is enough to compensate for the fact that it's not the most reliable stream. And at the moment, it's trailing yield is 6.1%. Don't forget you get franking credits. As long as you're aware that this is not a high quality company, it could actually get quite decent returns. The reason that I would be willing to risk my money to get you know, the, the reach for, for yield, and by the way, I don't own this, but the reason I would say it's kind of reasonable is because the one thing going for it is that distributors can become slightly better quality businesses as they grow. So if it is, you know, it's profitable now, if it stays that way, it has already done um, a purchase, you know, before to grow its business, it could get no other opportunities in the future. And it's quite possible that just little by little over the years, it'll slightly improve the quality of its business. And if you're getting a decent yield along the way, then that's probably a pretty decent investment. So that's why I'll say it's a hold. Um, but just keeping in mind that a tiny little liquid stock like this, it's not a high quality business. Mm -hmm. You would never risk a big amount on it. Okay, thank you guys. We are at the fifth stock already. This has been picked by Grady, interesting, RPM Global. R-U-L. Claude, I'm going to start with you on this one because I know that you cover it quite well. Yeah, that's right. So I think the easiest way to think about uh, RPM Global is it, it has a few different re revenue streams. And what the high quality revenue stream is the, the pink line in that graph there, which is the sort of subscription recurring revenue. So this is a, a subscription software package that helps with various parts of a mining company operating a mine, scheduling, maintenance, um, you know, optimizing the routes and the way that they actually dig out a mine. Um, you're, you see a discontinued gray one, we'll ignore that. And then you see uh, the a red one, which is the advisory division division and that's more consulting one-off not really recurring in nature but it does have a lot of operating revenue um sorry it, uh, operating leverage so a good year does help their profits at the moment you can see that the the software revenue and the consulting revenue are both going pretty strongly the risk is you could have continued software revenue growth because it's recurring but you could have profit hit by lower advisory we're not really seeing that at the moment. At the moment, we're seeing the company uh, is actually firing on all cylinders. And on top of that, buying back shares, crossing over that profit inflection point. So actually, I think there's a lot going for it, which is why I own shares, by the way. I own shares in this one and I consider it a buy because I not only have I just explained why the software, the good part of the business is growing, but on top of that, one of the real weaknesses of this business has been uh, poor communications. For example, they have given out their guidance before management incentives as if 
shareholders really care what a made-up number is that doesn't include paying the people that run the show. So um, on their recent AGM, they've basically said, uh, I actually got the quote here for you. Um, they said, having said that, they, they said, or oh, they explained why they did that. And then they said, having said that, it seems as though it would be a lot simpler to just include them, the management incentives, and not highlight them as we have on a consistent basis. So if they actually do that, and they actually start, you know, recording their presentations to shareholders rather than just giving their presentations to fund managers and not giving anything to the actual shareholders who own shares in the company. If they do all those things, I could definitely see a sentiment improve situation. So you've got the businesses growing, sentiment improving, and in the meantime, they're buying back shares. So that'll, you know, increase the upside if they ever do actually increase the sentiment around their stock. All right, that is a buy. Uh, I wonder if Luke can concur. Uh, I will, Nadine. Like, this is one that's sort of, again, a, a bit like uh, Drone Shield before, a bit on my periphery and, and aware of it because Claude writes about it and some other, you know, good fund managers. Um, but not one I'd ever, like, really taken a, a close look at. Um, and, and I must say, I was I was pretty impressed. I, I sort of see where Claude's coming from, the management's communication around, you know, how they report their earnings and things like that. You could, you could sort of poke holes in it. But um, just from a statutory basis, like one of the things I jotted down and, and you know, chef's kiss, because it's exactly what you want to see in a software business is that incremental profit that drops down once these businesses get to scale. So year on year, they added about $15 million in, in extra revenue and about eight and a half million of that of that extra revenue fell down to the net profit line. Oh, I'll say um, operating profit line. They, they have some um, exclusions um, on some one-off costs. Um, and that's exactly what you want to see as a, as a software business, as a shareholder, getting through that inflection point, the scale drops down. And so, um, you know, the, the other point I was going to make is that if you were to open up your Comsec app or just do a rough calculation on what's the PE ratio of um, RPM Global right now, you know, it looks like 67 times earnings. And you go, geez, that's very expensive. Um, you know, some good tailwinds behind the business. Growth is okay, but does it justify that sort of multiple? But of course, once you get through that inflection point and come off that low base, I mean, these these guys probably double or potentially triple um, profit this year, and that multiple is going to fall dramatically. And, and I, I can certainly see why people who own this stock um, are quite excited about its prospects. Um, and the other thing as well, Claude touched on it, but the buyback, I mean, it's it's meaningful. A lot of companies announce a buyback, and then when you actually go and look, they don't really do much. It's, you know, maybe a few a few hundred thousand shares or something or a few hundred thousand dollars. These guys have bought back 4% of the business. Um, and if you read the AGM, they are pretty um, pretty emphatic that they will continue doing that as long as the share price is around this dollar fifty. So, look, I, I think your downside's pretty well protected here by a company that's got plenty of cash and, and you know, demonstrated they're willing to buy back their own stock at these levels um, and if they keep executing the way they do there's obviously risks claude outlined it very well and covers it well for the for a rich life um, but if they execute the the way they they are planning to and the guidance they've got in the market i think this looks really interesting and i think claude's right you would see a, a strong sentiment shift come to this business and it do quite well so buy for me as well nadine double buy double buy to take us to the halfway mark guys thank you so much and that was rpm global i will very briefly summarize what we've learned so far. So Santos, Woodside, Luke can see the rationale in bringing these two companies together. Take no action if you're a shareholder, hold. It's a hold for Claude as well. All right, let's get to the um, companies nominated by you, Vimoto. So too many red flags for Luke, it's an avoid. 
Um, look, a bounce possible, but again, it's an avoid. It's a not a long-term investment for Claude. Drone Shield, it's a hold for Claude. He says the directors are selling, which is a red flag, but it, it, it could actually not uh, turn into that. He says that uh, a bounce in the share price, or sorry, um, you, you just shouldn't need it right now, but it's a hold if you own it. It's a watch list material for Luke. He's interested in it. Margins are pretty good, should perform well. Um, but uh, wants to do a bit more research before he would recommend it to be a buy. Uh, when we get to Antilles Gold, look, both guys say this is uber specky, and um, look, a dispute in the Dominican Republic so that it can hopefully do something in Cuba if it wins uh, is just made for some pretty poor reading for Luke, let's say. Ambertech, um, look, it is possible you can get this cheaper. It's not a buy today in Luke's view. Uh, it's a hold for Claude. Um, not a high quality company, but it does pay a dividend, which uh, you know is interesting in the small cap space. And you just heard RPM Global. Not sure what's there on the list there, but RPM Global, it's a double buy for both of my expert guests. Okay, our investment committee met, and uh, this is the final episode that's online for the year. So you might wanna check it out. Uh, it's ausbiz.com.au. Just search at the top under series for investment committee. So we had some new buys and sells this month. ResMed Car Group, John Ling's were bought. West Farmers, RPM Global, and MA Financial were sold. There you go. Um, they're going to be considering RPM Global once again when they meet in Feb. We're giving the guys a bit of a month off in January. So far, we're up by 12%, round about there, since uh, its inception on March 1st, 2022. Keep sending your requests, keep the call switched on, and we will keep putting the uh, double buys to our experts on the committee. So next bit, smart parking. Guys, I know we've talked about this before, so it'll be interesting to see if we've got any new information to go off. Felix, uh, Sequoia Financial, NRW Holdings, and YPB. So let's get to it, shall we? Smart parking, SPZ, this has been picked by Tom. Let's get an updated view on this from you, Claude. Buy, hold, or sell, and why? Well, I'll definitely let Luke do the uh, deep dive on this because he's one of the people that really put me onto the stock. Uh, look, in the last two times I've talked about this, both in 2022 and even just a, a few, like three months ago or something, I basically said, yeah, top of the watch list, quite like it. I, I looked at it again today, and even though I don't own shares in myself, I do actually, I'm sort of inching towards to say actually a buy on this one. Of course, it's a small cap. Of course, it's a little bit risky. Uh, so keep those in mind. The reason is, is because uh, basically the, the thesis is pretty simple. If you uh, take where they are and you know apply a, a normal tax rate, because at the moment they're, they're not suffering from tax because of prior losses, and then it might be on P ratio around 30, 35, but that the moment they're spending money on trying to expand in Germany and reach scale there. And, you know, the most recent update from the AGM suggested about 7.2% growth in sites under management just between June and 10th of November. So that's pretty good half on half growth. And as with RPM Global, you are actually starting to see the bottom line operating leverage so i think i've maybe you know i've anchored to this a little bit i've looked at it before and i'm like oh i should have said buy when it was in 2022 and now it's a bit higher and it's always getting a little bit too expensive for me look there are some real risks which i which i hope luke will cover there's there's regulatory risks as well regulation changes i'd be interested to see you know it's there are some real strange risks that could be hard to uh to guess so you've got to consider it like that 
some things could go wrong. It's it's parking fines, right? So if the rules around parking fines, how much it costs to see, you know, look up someone's license plates, how much um, you're allowed to find someone for parking when they shouldn't, all of these stuff, it's it's controlled by government. So yeah, real real strange one there. But I actually think that the the thesis is simple, you know, as Germany should start contributing more, hopefully see a little bit more operating leverage come through, and then it could start looking reasonably priced again. So tentative speculative buy from me okay specky buy um so luke tell us what you know about smart parking tell us if this was one of the companies that you were impressed by what you heard coming through from its agm yeah and, and i was on um, osbizar for the agm season it was one of my picks nadine um operationally the business is doing really well um, as claude says that that site rollout is the real driver of the business um i've got a blog post on the meriwether capital website sort of just digging into this is a business really driven by unit economics so you know the the economics are really strong at a per site level and, and go back to that point, you know, it's not quite a software business, of course, the same way RPM Global is, but when you have a business that scales over a relatively fixed operating cost base, you know, it, it all drops incrementally, you know, quite well. And, and smart parking, again, not software, not, not quite that much, but um, certainly you'll see margins really start to accrete um, as they keep growing. Um, to Claude's point, and again, I, for me, this is a specy buy as well, but where the specy comes from is, is not from the business itself or the operations, because um, you know, I only have positive things to say about um, uh, Paul Gillespie, the CEO, and, and the team that's, that's running the business. I think they're well and truly found a, a very good product market fit and are just driving the business so well. But Claude's spot on is that um, this business will always face regulatory risks. And I think as investors, regulatory risks are tricky because um, it's sort of like the, the day in the life of the Thanksgiving turkey meme that you see sometimes around that you forget about as investors that the longer it doesn't happen until one day, you know, someone in government changes their mind or needs to make some, some easy political points. So Claude's spot on. The biggest risk here is that um, take the UK as the example, um, smart parking. Uh, under current legislations, they can charge up to £100 for, for a parking breach, but there's nothing that stops the government from potentially lowering that fee charge. And of course, that's all just pricing power in the sense of that's margin that would instantly just come away from the business. So always bear in mind that's the risk for this. Um, so so I, I would sort of manage that either by position sizing or the valuation that you want to pay. But for me, I think for the growth and what you're getting, that's that's um, in the stock today. So, so still that specky buy for me as well. So we've got a specky buy. Thanks, guys. All right, that is smart parking. And next on the list is Felix, FLX, this is for Emma. Can I start with you on this one, Luke? Yeah, look, um, I like this business and, and, and I guess more, more so I, I like the product that they've got. Um, and so one of my sort of, sort of qualitative things I look for in investment is how do your customers speak about you? Like, uh, you know, do you have a product that's resonating well with your customers? Do they enjoy the product? Are they one of your sort of vocal, um, you know, sales channels when, when your customers sometimes become your, your biggest asset for, for further penetration? Um, and so what sort of interests me in Felix is one of their uh, key customers 
customers is Simic Group. Um, these guys do contractor management software for those large sort of construction contractors. Um, and Simic Group explicitly called out Felix in their annual report a couple of years ago, um, saying that their um, contractor management software was driving, um, you know, a, a huge reduction in the amount of administration and time taken to onboard a new subcontractor onto their enterprise um, systems. So that sort of qualitative stuff always interests me. And ever since then, I've had Felix sort of on my broader watch list and keeping an eye on it. Of course, that share price chart sums it up. It's still that loss-making microcap tech. So it's been thrown out, baby, with the bathwater sort of stuff. Um, what I would note, though, is that the last quarter you know, looked pretty good. Now, they're not near that sort of cash flow inflection point yet. So for me, still on the sidelines, and I would probably recommend most people stay on the sidelines as well. If you're there, probably hold it. But you know, just, just continue to wait and, and wait for that proper inflection for the cash flow. But I must admit, they had their best ARR growth quarter um, ever. Um, they added 20% ARR quarter on quarter. That's really strong. And a lot of that driven by that net revenue retention, meaning your existing customers are the ones sort of um, growing your ARR for you. So again, I think they've got a good product, good product market fit, resonating well with customers. They're spending more, they're using it more. That's what you want to see. I just think you need to get through that question mark right now of the capital markets that are asking asking every loss-making business basically is when can you get yourself mm -hmm. to sustainability? So once Felix answers that question, to me, I think this becomes a really, really interesting business. All right, and, and if you were already in it, because we don't have the context from our viewer, but um, would you hold it if you're already in it? I, I would keep holding. Okay. They raised capital not too long ago, so you would hope that you know that might be that last raise just to get the cash in the bank and get them through to where they need to be. The trajectory looks good, but of course, you know, there's been a lot of businesses where the trajectory looks good and then there's just that misstep or something happens or things slow down and you don't quite hit that point you want to hit. Mm -hmm. So I prefer just to, to, to wait for it. Um, but if you're there, I would hold it. And like I said, I, I think qualitatively, when you look at the product and, and the software they have, I think there's really good reasons to, to be interested in this stock. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Luke. Uh, Claude, you? Yeah, I, I concur that it's definitely one worth putting on your watch list but also it's just too early. What I would add to what Luke said is that uh, the company itself says that the trajectory demonstrates continued improvement, outlining a clear pathway to cash flow break even by Q1 FY 2025. So that's quite far away. And also I feel like, you know, this has been a good quarter, but they don't always have super strong quarters. There is, you know, it's not been the smoothest ride that you'd that you could imagine. So. Uh, I do think that it's great to see more of their business coming from the big contractors. So like they're bringing value to those larger companies. I think that's a good thing. Uh, the cherry on top is then when those larger companies sort of force the the vendors uh, to also get on the on the software and, and pay Felix money. So I do like the business model as well. That's why I think it's worth watching. Probably your your main angle for a uh, a payoff in the in the short term would be if there was a takeover offer. So that's why I would actually agree with Luke and say, hold, it would be a pity, you know, it's a, it's pretty in the doldrums, but I want to say why it wouldn't qualify as a buy. Because for example, if you wanted to sell just $25,000 worth of shares in Felix right now, you'd push the share price down to around eight cents from 11 and a half. So that's why I say, you know, I think that it's probably going to still be a painful hold for a little while longer. And I definitely wouldn't be adding to it or anything like that. It's still too risky for me. Overall, I agree with Luke. You just got to wait until these things are much closer to being a sustainable business, especially in this market where you're not getting such, you know, spe speculative excess. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, thank you. 
Thoughtful comments. Let's get to another one on the list, Sequoia Financial. This has been picked by Cameron. Claude, um, is this a quality company in your view? It's actually, so I think it's actually a reasonably good company. Uh, I wouldn't say quality and it's really a really interesting question. It takes a slightly different angle, but uh, they actually sold 80% of probably the highest quality, the Morrison Securities clearing business, which is essentially clipping the ticket on on share trades mm-hmm. and other, or actually other kinds of trading really. Um, but that clipping the ticket business is probably one of the more high quality businesses. They're also mostly in the business of, I guess, licensing financial advisors, which has actually been a really tough business for quite a long time because there's been increasing uh, financial and like time impositions on anyone wanting to give financial advice and what's that done that's done is it's made a lot of advisors leave the market and just stop doing it um which is bad of course for these companies that are licensing um the financial advisors because you know the more the merrier for them and these guys have done really well in a tough uh in a tough environment i think they probably did some acquisitions when when things were riding high that weren't as successful but they've also done this very successful morrison's securities trade so they're now cashed up they're ready to continue acquiring they're looking to do public private sort of um arbitrage they're buying back their own shares because they think the stock is too cheap you know if anything i lean towards a buy on this it's it's not um you know they've really massively upped their dividend payment as well i just think that there is a lot going for it as a decent quality business available at a reasonably attractive um price so based as a, a potential sort of dividend play i would say probably uh it would be maybe a buy or, or at least a hold for me i don't own it myself though okay um so i think we'll call that a hold i think we'll call that a hold um yeah i think fair. it's probably a hold but yeah. i can see the angle as a buy as well all right um luke you'll have to settle it on this one uh I think I'm basically the same, Nadine. I'm definitely a hold, but but on that spectrum, lean towards a buy and um, agree with everything Claude said just there. Like it just, it, it screens as very cheap. Um, you know, of course, businesses have to come out and, and execute to the guidance they put in the market. And that's potentially a little risk here. They've sort of guided to 10 million in operating EBITDA this year. And um, by the, the way they will do that, they've said they'll do 4 million in the first half and 6 million in the second half. So whenever you see that sort a second half waiting to guidance i think you know maybe sort of just take that with a bit of a grain of salt but nonetheless if they get anywhere close to that 10 million it's exceptionally cheap and as claude pointed out and i think what really settles it for me as, as being more bullish on this one um is they've committed to to returning a lot of capital to shareholders um either implicitly through buybacks or or through a higher dividend payout ratio um i think they've guided to a 90% payout ratio from memory. So, um, you know, that that gets into about five cents this year on a 54 cent share price. So you're looking at, you know, upwards of a nine to 10% yield. I believe that's fully franked as well. So given the valuation that underpins it, I think this is a easy hold and, and probably lean towards a, a buy as well, same way Claude did. Um, the only other thing I wanted to, to to raise, and this is a longer term thing, and I think it's just it's worth thinking about this because I think it's very hard to say exactly how it will play out. But yesterday in the news, the the government has relaxed the laws around financial advice. Now, that's going to create a lot of different. Um, 
aspects of an impact to, to businesses like this. I think short term, I, I probably view it as a positive because they are burdened by very high compliance costs and licensing costs. So any any um, you know loosening of, the, of those restrictions, I think benefits in the short term. Longer term, where I'm a little bit more pragmatic though, is does it um, reduce the barriers to entry? And of course, banks, super, um, and, and insurance companies all exited financial advice a few years ago after the Hain Royal Commission. So do those big players come back into the industry now? And particularly where I'm thinking as well is on the back of robo-advice, which has really taken off in the US. And of course, we've got ChatGPT4 now, um, really driving that sort of uh, language model um, uh, robo-advice sort of stuff. So um, look, I think hold, lean towards buy, but then I've uh, added some extra layers on top with potential short-term tailwinds, long-term headwinds. Uh, let's just go with a hold, Nadine. There's my, no, I'm kidding. We got it. We're going with a hold. All right, let's get to NRW. NWH, of course, is the ticker code. The ninth stop picked by Nick. Uh, Luke, what do you think? I just couldn't poke a hole in this one when I took a look. I mean, it's it's not a small business, um, well over a billion dollar market cap, um, and it's just been slow and steady execution for many years. Um, the only potential risk is, of course, I think this is a cyclical business and we've potentially sort of forgotten how cyclical it can be because mainly exposed to, to, to mining customers and, and, and mining capex. Um, there's been a decent boom in that over the last few years. And in particular, like, I mean, full credit to NRW and, and WH management. Um, you know, you've got to put yourselves in the right areas. But last couple of years, they've really had a focus on, on lithium capex, which, of course, has absolutely boomed um, over there in the Pilbara. So, um, look, I, when I look at any metric uh, based on their guidance, about six times EBIT, that's a fair price for a, you know what, what will be a cyclical contractor. Um, 6% yield, again, it's a pretty fair valuation if you look at on a dividend yield. Good management, good long-term execution. Uh, to me, it's a, a pretty comfortable hold. Um, and you would probably look to buy just on one of those pullbacks. If you see sort of um, sort of late, late last year, just has that maybe 10 or 15% pullback, or maybe there's an issue with a contract or something like that. This is the sort of business I think you, you can put in your bottom drawer and, and maybe add to on, on those sorts of um, you know mini pullbacks that you, you see every now and then. All right. Uh, how about you, Claude? Is there anything attractive about this being a cyclical building? I mean, a, a business, I should say, it, it does, you know, consistently win these contracts. Yeah, look, I think also now it probably has enough scale that there's some competitive advantage in that, albeit not too much. Uh, and also, I think the more important thing is this is a mining services, cyclical businesses, they need to be uh, managed sort of fairly carefully and you could think of the and, and pay out that that dividend and and grow it when they can and look it's had its a, a massive ups and downs over, over the years but it's still here it hasn't blown up you know these businesses when they take on debt if they manage badly they can they can blow up and and really just go go to nothing but actually this company has managed to uh you know persist for quite a long time continue paying out those dividends uh that are i guess well in excess of once you include franking credits of what you can get in the bank Look, what I'd add is if you look at, say, the last six years, the average P ratio has been uh, about 16. It's a little bit below that at the moment, but not much. So it's probably about fairly valued by me looking at dividend yield, me looking at um, P ratios, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to land with uh, Luke on this and just call it a hold. OK, there you go. Hold for NRW Holdings. That's the name. All right, let's get to lucky last on the list. And this is YPB. And this is for Robert. What do you think, Claude? 
Yeah, so this one, I think its share price is 0.001. So that's the offer. Like, can't really go much worse than... Well, it can, actually. It's still minus 100% downside if you buy shares at 0.001. Look, so these guys are supposed to be doing... uh, they're, They're doing, you know stopping counterfeits with their their system if you look at the success stories on their website they only had one uh and nutrition and nutraceuticals brand that i hadn't heard of uh look basically it's so small if you look at its revenue even it's gone down over like you know since i think 2018 or 2015 or whenever it was you know way back just look at their old announcements you know um yeah 2015 they they raised seven eight million dollars um and said that you know their business continues to gather momentum with recurring revenue, new clients, and complementary acquisitions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Just absolutely, the revenue has is lowered since then. It just absolutely shouldn't even be listed. I wouldn't buy it at all, and I don't even know how anyone even owns shares in it. But yeah, I I have no idea. Like you, could, I guess your options are sell for minus ninety nine percent or whatever, or or just write it off. Yeah, so I'd probably sell even yeah, at zero point zero zero one. Yeah, well, better something than nothing, right? It is, Luke, I mean... Well, I guess you get to crystallise your loss. Yeah. You get to crystallise your loss, you know, I don't know. Everyone should consider their own tax situation, but uh, I'm not sure if there's much value in it. What do you think, Luke? Um, yeah, the the um, little the, the tick below a cent, trading at the lowest possible <laughs> pip. Um, I have seen companies recover from that, um, very very rarely, of course. Um, and of course, to Claude's point, um, when people say it can't go any lower, they can always consolidate their share count and go lower again. You've got to bear that in mind. Um, <laughs> they, they can always go lower. Um, look, I actually I remember this one. It, it's been around for a few mm-hmm. years. Claude's right. They do the counterfeit technology. Obviously hasn't taken off commercially um, and the other thing I noticed is they've got you know what I would label the death spiral finance and, and what that is is it's actually um, equity financing where they tap into the finance facility and in lieu of that they immediately issue shares to the to the financier at a discount to um, to the share price which I'm not sure how they do it at, at uh, 0.001 but they then dump those shares straight away uh, again very few companies come back because it just creates that negative spiral of your share price goes down you're then taking on more diluted funding and your share price keeps going down um, it's more common in the US than what you see here but if you do see it you know it's one pretty big red flag and, and really consider how the business can operationally survive when you see that sort of financing in place um, so I'm with Claude I think you just sell this one move on get whatever um, financial capital you can get out of the business, but more importantly, get some emotional capital back. Um, that's always very important when you have those sorts of losers um, and you can look onto greener pastures and, and better stocks out there. Yeah, I mean, I spoke with John Houston a while ago. They did get some of their counterfeiting technology adopted by a group, and I think it was Chile. Uh, you know, so it's um, it's hard when the founder's CEO is running a business. Clearly, you know, a lot of belief mm. in the company and the technology and what it could offer, but it's business, right? You're buying yeah, shares well, in a business. Spot on. And, and I think that's a mistake a lot of investors made. I've made it. I'm sure Claude's made it in the past. And it's it's confusing the product with the business. And, and there's lots of great products out there that just struggle to commercialize for whatever reason. And what's frustrating is that oftentimes you can have a fantastic product that can be best in class and because you don't have the distribution or the right path to market, it just never, never works. Mm-hmm. And I think, unfortunately, YPB is in that situation. All right, guys. Well, we ended on a bit of a downer, but 
that there was lots in that last half of the program. So let me just sum it up. So our, oh, sorry, RPM was previous, but it was a buy, double buy. Um, SPZ, it's a double specy buy. So smart parking, um, doing well. Um, but Luke says, think about your position sizing and the valuation. Uh, Claude says, yes, it's a specy buy, but it is a risk. Um, yeah, interesting. We've got uh, next on the list being Felix, ARR really strong, according to Luke. Questions though about the capital markets a whole, maybe just a bit too early. Too early says Claude, you know, predicting that it'll be cash flow positive first quarter 2025. That's a long way down the road. So it's a hold, but an interesting business. Keep your eye on it. Um, Sequoia, it's a hold for both of my guests. They were both sort of leaning towards a buy, but um, look, there are a few longer term headwinds. And when you get to number nine, NRW Holdings, look, it's it's a solid performer, winning contracts. It's a hold, pretty fair price in Luke's view. And you heard for YPB, it is a sell for you, Robert. Everybody out there listening, watching, thank you. Thank you, of course. Hope you had a wonderful week. Also keep in mind, this is not financial advice. You need to do your own research. Be careful, particularly in the small end of the market. Massive thanks to our regular guests, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. I hope you guys have a great weekend and stay cool and safe in this weather, mm. of course, in the East Coast. And uh, we'll hot. talk to you guys soon. All right. And thanks, for thanks all of for you out me. there, thanks, guys. Um, if you would like us to cover a company for you, big or small, osbiz.co forward slash call picks. We love getting your requests in. And if you like, tell us whether you already own it, whether you're thinking about buying it. And then we can sort of tailor a little bit of our talk toward, um, you know, your, your, at least knowing if you're already in it and perhaps you get a bit more strategy off the back of that. Um, look, it's a Friday, almost one o'clock. Stay with us. We'll get you across what's happening out there in the market next. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.